Byers, and this is Successful Associations Today. My guest is Morag Barrett, sought-after keynote speaker and author of Cultivate, The Power of Winning Relationships and the Future-Proof Workplace. As the founder of Sky Team, an international executive development company based in Colorado, Moreg supported the development of more than 7,000 leaders in 20 countries on six continents. Her secret to success is that business is personal and relationships matter. And even in the midst of all that travel and all that helping, she still finds time to be a ballroom dancer. So something interesting about Moreg there. And I reached out to you because I'm hearing from a lot of my colleagues and the organizations and associations I work with that the work from home is starting to get a little old. There's no end in sight and we're starting to fray a bit. So let me just start at a very high level as you think about that from a a human and a management standpoint, what kind of advice would you give to professionals who are managing a remote team right now? It's broad. Because I, as I was listening to your introduction, I was just thinking about the leadership roller coaster and the emotional roller coaster that I've been through. And I think that the mistake that we make is assuming that we are getting off that ride. And there are days that I know that my team and I, and we're all remote too, feel on top of the world and we've got this under control. And then it will be the loop-de-loop where one or more of us is going, oh my goodness, this is like in a few short months, we've gone from just tripping through the daisies and everything's fine, even on the challenging days, to what is happening and no end on sight. And so acknowledging that emotional undercurrent and continually rechecking in, where am I on this roller coaster ride? And where are you, Mary? And how is that helping or hindering the problems that we have to solve or the decisions that we have to make? I think that's where a lot of leaders are underestimating it because they're thinking it's old hat. And it isn't. It's fresh every single day when we wake up in the morning and realize that there isn't an end in sight it's still work from home. It's impacting how and where we do business and emotions drive behavior. So if we aren't connecting with the human side, we're gonna struggle to get the business results that we need in order to succeed for the longer term. I think that's an excellent point. That whole emotional piece of this, I think when we were all co-located in an office, we tried to leave the emotional piece of work outside the four walls. We might feel them after work in the evening when we were at the gym and process them there. But but now I think it's a mistake not to acknowledge the emotional side because there is, and you said it's a roller coaster. And in one day you can uh, go up and down and up and down and up and down again. And sometimes within 10 minutes or even a minute, you can you can feel that. I mean, I, I've noticed that about myself as well. So that emotional piece of it, but we don't usually think of managing emotions or checking in with people personally as part of management. And that is the the rookie mistake, because I think if you don't connect at a human level, and it's the reason I do what I do, I spent 15 years in finance, connecting with the business side, the numbers, the Excel spreadsheets, the logic, 
And what I realized was if you don't get to the human side, you're not going to make the spreadsheet numbers a reality. And at work, we had the pressure cooker release of maybe you and I leave a meeting and we're getting in the elevator together and we go, oh my gosh, what just happened? Or, hey, Mary, I bump into you in the break room. How are you doing? And even those chance encounters were enough to relieve any pressure that you might be um, feeling. But here in Zoom land, the only time we get together is when you need something or I'm asking for something. It's very transactional and it's very scheduled. We've lost some of that spontaneity. And in my research for Cultivate the Power of Winning Relationships, my first book, I identified four critical questions that we're asking ourselves consciously or subconsciously in every interaction. Number one is, can I count on you? Can I count on you to do your stuff and get it back to me on time so I can do my stuff? Can I depend on you to go the extra mile, you know, spot the typo and correct it, um, give me warnings of impending disaster? And those two are transactional, and it's where a lot of relationships start and stop. But the transformational relationships, the ones that are going to see us through these tough times, are where we can get to yes to three and four, which is do I care about you? Not in a group hug sort of way, but do I care about your success as much as I do my own? And do I trust you? And if we go back to pre-COVID times, the answer to those four questions might well be yes, because we've got daily interactions to build and make deposits into that relationship bank account. But here, when I'm working remotely, especially five months in, when, let's be clear, most of us went into this thinking it's going to be a matter of few weeks. Maybe it'll be Independence Day. Oh, now it's going to be fall. And now we're thinking it's going to be through a major part of 2021. Those four questions are very different because can you count on me? Well, no, because five months in, I'm still making do with a laptop and a rickety um, desk chair because everything else is back at the office. Can you depend on me? Well, maybe, but the hours aren't now a nice clean eight till five or whatever it was because not only am I working on my rickety desk chair, I've got to homeschool three kids. I've got you know worries about can I get toilet paper next time I go to the grocery store. So no. And then do I care about you? Well, how would I know? So ages since you just called just to see how I'm doing. And so therefore the fourth question of do I trust you starts to get eroded. And so when you say as leaders, we're not paying attention to the emotions, if we're not paying attention to those four questions, then those gaps are gonna widen and those cracks and fissures are gonna undermine all of our success if we're not um, feeling like there is a sense of team and that we're in this together. So I think that work has actually changed, not just because we are remote, or virtual, I think the work of a manager or a leader has changed because part of it now is checking in with your team, asking those four questions, making sure they have what they need, being accommodating, changing expectations perhaps, and Mm -hmm. what work is even going to look like now Mm -hmm. that school is starting again and we've got homeschooling children and work from home parents and dynamics that just didn't exist six months ago and we have no experience with. So I think part of what's happening is the role of a manager and a leader is changing, 
but we are still kind of being rigid in what mm -hmm. our expectations are. And if I'm a manager that doesn't like the quote touchy feeling part of managing and checking in with people, and I'm more comfortable with the get it done side of things, then there is a disconnect between what we need now in our management and leadership team and what we may have hired for. Yes, when we brought people on board. So can you speak to that a little? Well, there is a disconnect. And I think ironically, because this isn't rocket science, it's common sense. And a um, majority of the clients that my team and I at Sky Team work with are in IT technology and engineering. So if you apply a stereotype broad brush, which is so unfair, then they might be described as our typical audience who focus on the widget and the things. But what we find is when we take the human side and make it into a process, it becomes accessible to everybody. And it can be simple things like making the implicit explicit. We're now working remotely. So when, if you, I know that you've got childcare responsibilities. Okay, if you're teaching in the morning, does that mean that your hours, and let's make it now explicit, are now noon till 6 p.m.? Or it's noon till five, so you can now um, be with the family for dinner. And then once the kids have gone to bed, it's eight till 10 at night. But it's managing by results now versus managing by walking around. So if I'm very clear in setting expectations that say, Mary, I need you to do X, I need it to look like this, and I need it by Friday at 10 a.m., now I need to count on you, depend on you, trust that you're going to do it. And if you do it at 11 p.m. because that's what works for you, that has to be all right versus the core hours and the old mindset of eight till five. And certainly what we're seeing with our clients, they're coming up with creative answers to these problems. We've all done the virtual happy hours and they work. Um, but what we're also seeing is no meetings scheduled between 11 and one um, for the headquarters time and maybe nothing after 3 p.m. at a local time zone time so that people have got some breathing space to run errands, catch up or just do. Um, I have leaders who are literally doing office hours, which is I've got my Zoom room. I will be here every Monday from nine till 10 with the camera on. Pop on by like you would my office. You would have come into the office. It's harder to remember, but people structure the reminders. But if you're consistent, then I know that you're available on Zoom. I can dial into your room at nine o'clock and we can have that spontaneously scheduled conversation that might not otherwise have happened. And the third tip I'd offer is um, by asking. So again, clients use what we call ripples and joys, starting every meeting with just a few minutes of in the last seven days since we last saw each other, you know, what's something that's brought a smile to your face, whether it's personal, professional at home. Um, it might have just been a flower or something you saw on a walk, something your kids did, the dog did. And then what's a ripple? What's an impact or a result that you have helped achieve that's moved our business or our customers forward? And just getting into the discipline of sharing helps to retain that sense of team and connectedness that can otherwise be lost. So part of what I'm hearing you say is good leaders and managers are being very intentional and deliberate about mm -hmm. what they're doing and how they're doing it. Yes. They are questioning expectations and clarifying expectations. Yes. And maybe they're being creative in how they are approaching 
challenges today and how we get work done today. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, it's just by asking versus telling, because you're right, none of us have been through this before. So all of us, and Brene talks about FFSs. I'll let you go and Google Brene Brown, FFSs, and you can find out what it stands for. But essentially, it's summarizing that it's all our first times doing this. And so as a leader, a trap we can fall into is, I need to have the answers I need to solve for this. Well, how about the courage and vulnerability that says, actually, I don't know. So how are we going to solve this together as a team? And then again, I've got skin in the game for making sure that whatever solution that we come up with works because I was part of deciding that that was the answer for us. And what works for us might not work for you, but a variation might. But if we don't include the people it's impacting, then we could find we can actually make the situation worse. And I think that's part of the trap we fall into, too. As leaders, we think we have to have all the answers. And the reality is, is we have to be able to ask the questions. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then find the answers, as you said, together as a team, because we know that people support what they help create. So rather than a top-down management style, it's more urgent than ever to adopt a collaborative. Mm hmm leadership yeah. style. So let's say I'm a manager and maybe I'm a first time manager, a new manager, and I can see that my team is fraying. What would be the first couple of things you recommend that I do? Well, I think doing a pulse check. So three questions you can ask of your team is what's working? So we don't lose sight of that because I think it's always easy to hang on to the negativity and the overwhelmingness. So what's working right now? Then question number two is what's not working individually and collectively? And then we can go to, so what's one thing, not a laundry list, because that's going to overwhelm us. What's the one thing we or I or you can do right now to close that gap and move us forward? So I think it's creating the space to have those conversations and make it okay to put your hand up and say, you know what, Mary, I was going to get that report written today, but I am in a tough spot today. You know, I've woken up and I just feel the weight of the world on my shoulders. I'm going to get it to you tomorrow. But if we don't make it okay, I'm just going to suffer through it. You're going to get a subpar report. You're going to think, well, what the heck's going on with Morag? I can't rely on her. So trust is eroded. You can't depend on me. You can't count on me. And we get into the downward spiral. And I had it happen in my own team. And we're a small, nimble team. And I'm British. I pride myself on the stiff upper lip of, you know, we can get through this. And one of my team called me just a couple of weeks ago to say, how are you doing? And my answer was, fine because that's what you say in England. <laughs> and she was going, no, no, how are you really doing? And by being persistent, she got to the truth, which was I had the knot in my stomach. I was worried. I didn't know which way to go. And just being able to talk and to feel heard that as the boss, the CEO of Sky Team, I didn't have to save all of us, that I could have an off day. It was like the little pressure valve going off and I could come back it harder and more passionate the next day. So that's part of what we can do as new leaders is create those opportunities to check in, 
to not just take the first answer, try the thumb up, thumb down if you haven't got it. Get a, a survey monkey or a quick poll on your um, Zoom t software, whichever one you're using, that's saying on a scale of one to five, w w where would you put the health of the team today? Because now it's not Morag saying, it's the survey results say. And now we can talk about the survey results as a team and decide again together, what are we going to do different? So there are so many ways that you can trigger that conversation in a safe way that helps us to move forward. One of the pushbacks that I anticipate that we'll get is people will say, I am behind already. I don't have enough time to get my own work uh, done. I am on Zoom calls all day long. And the whole idea of having time to check in or listen to people, I, I just, I don't have the time number one. And number two, I don't think that I should have to babysit my team. You don't have the time not to. You're damned if you do and doomed if you don't. And so do you have to do it for all 24 direct reports? No, but start with three. Get your th those three running together. Form little peer groups so they can support each other. You can still set the tone that says no meetings before 9.30 in the morning and give everybody the breathing space to get their desks organized, their brain organized, their email under control, and then start the Zoom meetings. So there are always things that we can do that will start to affect change and help us to feel in control in a year where, let's face it, a lot of things feel out of control. And you mentioned something earlier that I want to make sure we emphasize, and that is managing results. And that's hard. And I've heard some people say, you know, I was, I was opposed to remote work work from home. I, there was no way I didn't want to do it. And now I've actually seen that we, uh, my team has exceeded my expectations. Mm -hmm. And so I've changed what, what I think about it and how we work. But I think we still are a little skeptical and cynical about managing for results versus managing hours. What would you say to that? So there's a number of things that come from it. I've worked from home for 13 years, but there's a difference between choosing to work from home and having to work from home. And then it goes back to the earlier question of, am I resourced? Do I, if, I, if I'm a software developer and I like to have two screens, do I have two screens? There's still a backlog on getting webcams so not everybody can feel connected. So we need to get some of those issues sorted. But when I talk about managing for results, it's making clear, again, maybe we need to revisit the results that are important right now. So maybe this is not going to be the stellar revenue year that you thought it was going to be. So now what is the new acceptable benchmark? And in order to make that a reality, what are you going to keep doing? What are you going to start doing and doing differently? Because now how do you do business development when you're not holding a glass of wine and we're meeting in two dimensions, etc.? Um, and also, what are we going to stop doing? And making sure that that stop doing list is very clear and actually happens and it doesn't become a black ops project that's happening off screen, but it's still taking time and attention away. So for many businesses that I'm coaching and working with, we are looking at their strategic plan. We are looking at their short-term goals and we're saying what absolutely needs to ha get done and at what level in order to ensure the long-term success of the business. And the rest of it will come back to later. And then once we have those narrow goals, to your point, 
Who, where are the skills? Where are the talents? How do we make sure that the creativity and innovation continues? Because again, when we're in a transactional, you only call me when you need something. It's the ad hoc creativity and brainstorming that's starting to um, fray and get lost. So it's how do we put those processes in place to ensure that this team is prepared to reach out and solve and move forward together? Make a good point in that uh, we might have to let some things go Mm -hmm. for now, Mm -hmm. not forever, but for now, just recognizing that these are extraordinary times and we are in uncharted waters. I was actually on a call a couple weeks ago where one of the team members broke down Mm -hmm. and, and said, I can't get everything done. And so part of the answer might be, we just can't do everything right now. Yeah. And that is not a bad thing. That That is a recognition, uh, that's a realistic thing, mm-hmm. I think. Part of this is, you know, we, we hear a lot about the new normal and I, I don't really like those words, even though I think they're achingly descriptive. I really like to talk in terms of the next normal and it may be in building your next normal and it may be that the next normal is a for now next normal. And in six months, that may look different. And in a year, that may look different. So talk a little bit, if you would, about kind of the time continuum. And as you're working on things with your clients, what you recommend in terms of, you know, is it solving problems now? And then is it a three-month horizon, a six-month horizon, a year horizon? Or what do you recommend? Oh, I could retire if I could answer that one eloquently. And I can in that The reality is life has always been iterative, but as humans, we like predictability. But that's also what keeps us stuck. And what 2020 has done is it's pulled the rug out from under us with the pandemic because we went, literally, I came home from New York March 1st and by March 15th, so within two weeks, everything was shut down and it was like, okay, so all of those live programs that my team and I excel at doing, all those keynotes, big stages, events, and so on, gone. Now we've got to pivot and learn how to do it through a little Zoom window. And so like everybody else, it was the lights, camera, action, and learning. But that wasn't enough, was it? Then we had murder hornets and then we've had, you know, all sorts of things layering on it. So I think as leaders, again, the time horizon is here and now. And we're having to respond in the moment. But it's setting clear guiding principles and guardrails around what is still the core values that are important to our company and our brand. What are the core values that are important to us as individuals? And how do we then still live and personify those? And so so then the challenges get filtered and then the decisions around what are we doing and what are we doing differently and what are we not doing become easier because they can go through that filter and help us to prioritize which of these many problems or questions do we actually need to answer today and which let's just breathe and see how they evolve over the next few weeks. But most of my clients are working on a three six month sort of sprints with a how do we get through here to the end of 2021. And then as new information comes to light between now and then we can modify, but we're not planning three years out. We're not planning five years out. We're planning nearer term. And and that probably is part of the next normal, you know, Mm -hmm. because we have seen 
unequivocally how quickly things can change. You know, when, when I started as a strategic planning facilitator, we actually talked in terms of 10 years and five mm-hmm. years, which is ludicrous now. Yep. And three is, it seems even too long. You yes. know, one or two seems more manageable and that just may be a part of what, what things look like. Um, as, as we wrap up here, and I just, I so appreciate your very, very specific uh, suggestions because they seem manageable and doable. What would you say to somebody who's running a very large organization with a lot of uh, employees? How do I start getting my arms around that? You did mention possibility breaking. You know, I don't have to talk to everybody on day one. I have to talk to a few people on day one. You also mentioned the possibility of breaking people into pods or teams. But any other tips for larger organizations that are trying to manage this fraying from a distance? So first of all, you cannot over-communicate. You cannot. It's just impossible. I, I, in fact, I double dog dare anybody listening to try and over-communicate and then by all means come and tell me that I'm wrong if you actually manage to meet that threshold where people say please stop and so I think transparency and consistency of communication is key if you're at the CEO of several hundred or several thousand or tens of thousands employees be visible and be communicating even when you have nothing new to share And then how do you rally everybody to help solve for those issues? Well, you have your horizontal leadership team, but I encourage you also to form a vertical team or vertical teams that then can take a pulse check at different levels within your organization. And maybe there's a variation of that that does it geographically too. Because then the more points of contact you have feeding back to you, the more you know how you can, A, reinforce the corporate brand values and direction and hope and optimism and confidence that we, this is moving to the next new normal. Um, but you can also modify and stratify your on answers and responses based on the pain points as they emerge. So communication is key and it's two-way. So make sure that you are regularly appearing and sharing and showing and, and listening, but also getting that feedback back as well. Love that. Thank you so much. It's been, uh, it's been a treat to talk with you. And that goes right along with what I like to say is that great leaders ask first, they mm-hmm. listen second, and they speak third. So thank you for being here today. My pleasure. This is Mary Byers with Successful Associations Today. 